0: you're listening to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Here, we talk about creating a career you love. We go deep into mindset, marketing, business, and life as a hairstylist. I'm your host, Jodi Brown, a hairstylist veteran turned branding and marketing mentor for ambitious, inspired beauty pros like you. On this podcast, we share the real stories of leaders within the beauty industry and actionable trainings that leave you with the tools and guidance that will inspire you to build your best life as a hairstylist. From branding, business, and marketing to mindset, life, and finding fulfillment, no topic is off limits here. Get ready to be educated and inspired. This is the Hairstylist Rising podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Hairstylist Rising podcast. I am really excited for today's episode because my guest and I, Meg Long, are going to be discussing something that's really important within our industry. Meg is a passionate stylist, and she has been immersed in the world of vivids and blonding. And in the UK, she's crafted a one-to-one space that champions inclusivity and comfort. As an autistic stylist, Meg intimately understands the hurdles that are faced by neurodivergent individuals in traditional salon environments and she is dedicating herself and striving to impart knowledge fostering hope and acceptance and creating positive change in the lives of neurodivergent individuals within the hair industry and beyond so like i said this topic is really important and one that i'm very excited to shed some light on so thank you so much for being here meg i'm really excited for this conversation and Before we get started and before we get into this conversation, I think there's a really key thing that my listeners need to understand when listening, and that is that if you or someone has maybe never heard the term neurodivergent or has maybe heard it and doesn't know what it means, can we just give a little bit of background information on what exactly you mean by neurodivergent individuals within and outside of the hair industry?
1: Yeah, so it is it is a term that is fairly new in, in history, but it covers a wide variety. And it basically is a way to describe people whose brain maybe works in a slightly different way. And just like you have like the autistic spectrum or other spectrums, you have a neurodivergent spectrum. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but things that are covered as neurodivergencies are autism, ADHD, dyslexia dyspraxia dyscalculia um, epilepsy Tourette's um, fetal alcohol syndrome trauma can also present as a neurodivergency OCD any of those things would mean that your brain just works and absorbs the world in a different way to what they would then call a neurotypical brain right okay
0: thank you so much for for defining that because I want to both for myself for my listeners have a really firm understanding of everything because There's a reason you got into into educating on this topic, I would imagine. And I would love to hear a little bit more about your story within the hair industry and how that led you to what you're doing today. So, yeah, I mean, so I've been in the hair industry since 2011.
1: So I didn't know I was neurodivergent until 2021. Um, And so I was diagnosed really late, um, autistic ADHD. Uh, very common for women especially of like my generation of like late 30s 40s because we kind of got forgotten about in the 80s and 90s because up until 1998 they didn't even think women could have ADHD and it isn't because you know it's not because all everyone's a bit ADHD nowadays it's because we were totally abandoned you know through our childhood and there comes a point right. where we can't mask that anymore we can't hide it we can't right. you know pretend it's not there because you know we basically end up with a bunch of very unhealthy coping mechanisms which only right. will serve us so long and then it's just not manageable mm-hmm. but when i did yeah. get diagnosed it really there was lots of feelings there was was a lot of denial and there was a lot of you know oh my god and then there was some like oh wow that's why i am how i am and you know but right. up until that point and still beyond that point is I, I have never really immersed myself in the industry. I, I qualified and I literally went freelance. And here, it, you know, I went what they call mobile. So I worked in people's houses on my own straight out of college because I couldn't find, wow. in hindsight, I know why now, but I couldn't find an environment that I was able to function in. I couldn't find a space that I was accepted in. I couldn't find a way to work that would work with anyone else. Um, So I effectively did that for five years. Then I ended up opening my own space, which is still just me. Um, And I, I basically opened up a salon that I could function in before I knew I was autistic ADHD. I just made a space right. that I could function in. And I yeah. eventually just had a load of clients that went, oh my God, I've never had a salon like this. You know, I've never had a space where right. we can, you know, I can ask for the lights to be dimmed or I can say, you know, please, you know, can I not have a head massage or don't leave me at the sink because mm-hmm. I have a, a neck thing and, you know, the sensory stuff and the water, you know, and, and then when I fig- found out I was autistic ADHD, I was like, Why? Why am I the only one doing this? Why? why right. You know, it's wonderful I have all these clients coming to me and saying, oh, my God, I can't find this anywhere else. Thank you for accommodating me yeah. and us. But it's, it shouldn't be just me,
0: you know. Absolutely. I've got a couple of questions, actually. One of them is that with the fact that like I personally know several women in their 30s that have gotten diagnosed with ADHD specifically. What do you attribute that to? The fact that, like, is it the? Because I know that for a long time there was like a misconception of the way that things present in everyone. Do you think that's what it what it comes down to? Hundred percent. I think it's. I think it's a mix of lots of things. I think partly it is the studies.
1: I mean, around a lot of diseases. Not saying ADHD is a disease, but a lot of diseases, a lot of diagnoses. They put all their money into figuring out what it looks like in straight white boys. And we know we're we're different. Our cycles make us different. We, it presents differently. So, yeah, when you're looking for X, Y, and Z, and you're actually should be looking for A, B, and C. Yeah, you're looking for the wrong thing. It also comes down to how we're socialized as women and as girls, right? Because boys of a certain age are allowed to be boisterous. They're allowed to throw stuff around. They're allowed to have tantrums. They're allowed to, they're allowed to show their feelings outwardly. And then it's noticed, right. and because it's outward, it's noticed. And yeah. we were told to smush it down. We were told that you know that's not mm. ladylike. You shouldn't be doing it that way. Don't do that. Don't do that. Fit in. Be good. Be nice. Be polite. And we're very smart. Right. And eventually, we it's a survival mechanism. And we go, oh, I need to. I need to be good. I need to be good. And it right. gets internalized. And a lot of women now um, later on in life get diagnosed with. It used to be ADD or ADHD, but now there is no ADD. ADHD. And then it's either inattentive, um, hyperactive, or combined. So inattentive means like the hyperactivity is in here. So, you know, the boys are externally doing is happening in here. Right. Um, Right. I have combined. So it's my outward stuff is all the talking and the moving. Um, And then I also have all the internal constant dialogue of everything all of the time um and and I think that's why it's more common and because we made it go internal and a lot of it
0: was internal no one noticed right yeah I'm really grateful to you for shedding some light on that because you know there's predominantly like our industry there's a lot of women there's a lot of men but I think 80% females in our industry so it's a very important topic I think to shed light on right and it's, it's likely that there's people who just are wondering like, why do things like bother me or why? You know what I mean? And they, they're not given that. I think it's like just a lack of of awareness maybe or knowledge. And so I think that's why it's so important to have these conversations to bring forward some of the experiences that neurodivergent stylists are having and also clients as well. So what can we look for in terms of creating environments that are more inclusive and that a variety of people feel comfortable functioning in. I mean, so for me, and this this
1: blends in a little bit with the socializing and how we socialize as women, working in a female-dominated industry as a neurodivergent person is awful, I won't lie, because partly, part of being autistic specifically, but ADHD as well, is that like this like this weird social hierarchy that that women and girls that that mean girl thing and the clicky stuff and like the things you should say and you shouldn't say and that a lot of neurotypical people just seem to get and are born with this knowledge of how to play the game and how to be we don't understand how to do that and so it puts a massive target on our backs i mean for me definitely in my local industry i have not been well-liked and it's because I don't know how to play the game and that is seen as an act of aggression. We're not inherently bitchy because we were born that way. No. We're socialized that way. We're told that never say what you mean, always be polite, but our feelings have to go somewhere and there's no like obvious rules. I need a rule, like a level written down rule, a clear rule, you know, and I like to be told if I'm doing something wrong. I don't want to hear it from three people down in the break room you know because I've overheard someone bitching about me you know like yeah like navigating those social interactions within a team I have always really struggled Mm -hmm. with not having those uncomfortable conversations I would rather someone have an uncomfortable conversation with me than kind of frenemy me
0: yeah so that, that indirect communication and expectation of reading between the lines is what it sounds yeah. like. I started working in phones when I was 17. I'm now 35. And I do think that that is something that was extremely prevalent when I got into the industry. And I, I'm sure this is not the case anywhere, but I do see a, a trend towards less openly accepting that kind of toxic environment, which I think is really, really important for our industry. And it sounds like it is extra important in terms of creating that inclusive environment where everyone feels like they belong. So I think that's important to note. And I appreciate you sharing that. And when it comes to finding your own salon, we can really have this conversation from a lens of for people who own salons, who maybe are neurotypical, who want to foster more inclusivity in their environment, but then also for the stylists who maybe has had similar feelings to that, who has maybe heard your story relating on a lot of points, but doesn't maybe have that option to go independent or whatever that looks like, right? How can we bring this together? Where does it start? So we all know it starts at the top, doesn't it? That
1: there's no, yeah. you can't do anything without power. The person at the top with the power has to be the one who's on board. And I, I, I'm so glad I was able to go and create my own space, but it is so unrealistic to expect every single autistic person to have to open their own salons so yes. they can go to work. Like, that's not yes. fair. And, and I would love to be part of a team that would understand me. So I think education, understanding, starting from the top and trickling down is the most important thing. And that is what I want to do. I want to try and collect like real world things you can put in place where you can and they are very small accommodations but things that salon owners or you know people for their colleagues or for their clients or whatever can put into place to make the environment better for everyone because i believe that if we treated everyone the way neurodivergent people
0: need to be treated everyone would benefit absolutely for example getting rid of that toxic gossip in the salon culture i think is something that would be beneficial for every single human being on the planet yeah
1: but you also know that if the if the salon owner is loving all the toxic environment then no one else is going to change it because it's like that fear isn't it that that fear that that falling into line that falling into place no one wants to like speak out of turn no one wants to be the scapegoat and it is scary and it's hard and This is also why, like, I believe there are loads of women like me. I believe there are probably loads of ADHD, but I think there's actually loads of autistic ADHD because I actually don't have a visual imagination, which people find crazy because I am creative, but I don't have a visual. I can't create something out of nothing, but you give me something to work with, a bit of structure, and then I can create something out of that. So when you work in an industry, which is basically a perfect mix of science and art, you've got the structure of the science and then you've got the freedom of the art, I believe. And you've got like the, the, also the wonderful mix of like dealing with people, but in this really structured way, you have like, you do have these kind of rules, this client stylist relationship. I believe there's loads of me's out there. Um, but I believe oh, yeah. that they've either been pushed aside and I believe that's a huge reason for the massive amount of burnout in our industry, but I also, or they smush themselves and, and they would be, we're being massively underutilized and underappreciated because we're not understood. And I think if the people at the top could, and I think they do want to for so long, I thought that, you know, well, if they cared, they would, and that people just don't care. So that's not why they're not accommodating. And I, I think the majority of people just don't know you know I, I yeah. think they do want there are people that don't care right everywhere but Correct. they I think a lot of people just don't know and they then they don't know how to accommodate and it feels overwhelming because right. it feels overwhelming for me and I've lived in my head for 36 years
0: yeah absolutely and I think you're so right that there obviously for the majority I do think that there is just a lack of knowledge and a lack of knowing. And I love what you said about the way our industry is set up with the creativeness of it. And even if you're not technically an entrepreneur, say you're a commission stylist, I think there is that very entrepreneurial spirit about our industry. And I read somewhere that the statistics in terms of ADHD and entrepreneurship, and again, I'm saying ADHD because I think that's, th- there's been a lot of studies, right? I think that's like why I keep referencing that, but I want to be also inclusive of all neurodivergent stylists and, and humans clients, all of the people. I'm just referencing that because that is what I've heard a lot about in the last several years.
1: And it's because we're not accommodated anywhere else. Let's okay. be honest. Only 15% of autistic adults are in full-time employment. Wow. And that isn't because we can't work. That's because okay. we are not offered a com jobs and and these aren't big accommodations they're just not but it's it's not reasonable and we're not able to function you know I think this is where there's a lot of lap over with ADHD and autism is that you know like a lot of ADHD is you know they'll flip between one job and the next and the next and next which I did loans before I had this job you know, and, and I think partly to do with that, partly it's a bit of a dopamine thing, I think, and a bit of an impulsivity thing and a boredom thing. But also like y- you get somewhere, you feel like you're just settled and then they don't get you. They don't get you. They think you're being difficult. They think right. you're being rude because unfortunately a lot of who we are is, you know, and again, I, like you, I speak from personal experience, which I can only do from ADHD and autistic. You know, I can't speak from the other right. neurodivergencies, but like, who we are as human beings, if almost everything that would tick a box to give me a diagnosis of ADHD and autism would be considered rude and antisocial. Every single thing. Just who I am is socially not acceptable. And what am I supposed mm. to do with that? But yet I yeah. find that if people understand, and it's not an excuse, it's not like, you know, I'm going to be a dick because I'm autistic, ADHD. I can be a dick all by myself. <laughs> I don't need a rich But... I think when people understand, like, I have to ask a lot of questions and, and, and often I'll get told, well, you're questioning me. Like, like, and it's like, no, I'm trying to comprehend what you're saying. I'm not suggesting you're wrong. And then I find that when people understand that, they're like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Like, you're not being difficult. You're not being a smart ass. You're not, you know. And so I think that when there is more education at the top, it does trickle down and and, and and the understanding, I think just really empathy and understanding, you know, and then yeah. the misconceptions, especially about autism, are, are right. Like yeah. the amount of times I've been told, well, I can't be autistic because I can talk. I can't be autistic because I'm a woman. Like, oh, you must be high. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm just like, oh, gross. Like, it, but it, it, it's something we were taught our whole lives. I didn't think I could be autistic yeah. ever because I was told that's not what it looks like. You know, and I, I find it also really interesting is that, you know, my whole life I've been, you know, people always say, well, you know, she's a bit off, she's a bit weird, but it would always be like, that's just Meg, that's just how she is, but she's weird, she's different, she's odd. And then when I was like, I'm autistic, they're like, well, no, you're way too normal to be autistic. I'm like, which one? They've called me weird and odd my whole life, but do you know what I often think it is? And this is this is a lot of the internalized ableism that I've had to deal with myself is that we, especially in the 80s and 90s, we were when the R word was rife, right, right, we were brought mm-hmm. up to believe that autistic people were other, that they're not like us, right. they don't look like us, they don't sound like us, they're other, right. they're beneath us, they're not like us. So mm. people don't want to see someone that looks like them or sounds like them. They don't want to believe that because it makes them feel yuck. Yeah. And they don't mean to, right. but it is deeply embedded in us, you know, even in me. Like, I've had to really, really work on it. It was years before. I would say the ADHD thing way before I would say the autism stuff. Way before. It was way more accepted that I was ADHD before I could say I was autistic. For myself, I couldn't accept myself. And and so I think what I want to do is the more I talk about it and make it just part of a normal conversation is I want other people to know it's okay to talk about it as part of a normal conversation.
0: Yeah, that is... So valid. The more we can speak something, the more we can have open conversations, the more we can bring this topic into the forefront, that's exactly what will happen. Because it is, like you said, I think it's that lack of knowledge, that lack of information, and that lack of understanding. And I think every single conversation that is had towards deepening that understanding and deepening that collective conversation is one step closer. And I think what you said earlier too is right. I definitely believe that on the whole, like when people know better, they will try and do better, right? So I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge for you telling your story and helping my listeners and helping myself have a better understanding. So earlier you mentioned that when you created a space that worked for you, you started attracting a lot of clients who it worked for them. So for a stylist, for a salon owner who is listening, we've talked about kind of how to start making our spaces in in this industry more welcoming for stylists. What about for clients? Like where can we start creating more inclusive spaces? So I mean, I actually
1: asked this on my TikTok. So I asked neurodivergent people to just pop on my TikTok and tell me basically the things they hate in salons and what they would love to see. And the overwhelming yeah. vibe was they don't feel heard and they feel like even if they were to say, no one would care. And, oh. and that's so sad. And it was a lot of people. And I have like 40 followers on TikTok, but yet this got a lot of traction, you know. And, right. and what I found is people just want to be asked. That's right. it. They just want to be asked. So, if I want, I'm going to give some real, like real ways, you know, in like condensed forms I can. So, client accommodation yeah. forms. I have an online booking system. When an appointment goes out, a um, uh, client accommodation form goes out asking them different questions, um, asking them whether they want dimmable lights. Listen, most places we can at least accommodate some dimmable lights. I'm not going light, lights yeah. round a mirror make me want to claw my eyes out. Light sensitivity is physically painful like it's physically painful it's not like I'm being difficult it's physically painful um I ask about if people want to brush brush their own knots out you know if they want to do a first brush of their hair also like a warning before you're going to touch them so think about your um your nervous system as separate from your brain for neurodivergent people just for an analogy is that I if if my nervous system isn't ready for a touch it hurts so like I need a full warning like hi I'm about to touch you now and my body's like okay so like if someone if my daughter loves scaring me she loves scaring me and I can't my nerve I can't I love her but I'm like please you just can't do that I will die or cry like I can't Yeah. yeah but it's touching as well so like you come up to someone and it is immediately you know or asking consent to touch I know it is our jobs
0: but it's okay to say are we ready And these are very small considerations to make someone else a lot more comfortable. Like none of this will affect your ability to do your job and it will make someone feel more heard. And that's what we need to be aiming for with all of our
1: clients. And this is where like also the accommodation forms are great because they go out before your appointment so you can prep everything before. I have a section about um, also like if you want um, like a chatting appointment or a silent appointment or a half and half appointment. You know, if if they have any other communication issues they want to discuss, it's not great form to ask them what their disability is. That's not okay. Um, but right. if they want to tell you, they can. But you can ask all these questions without having to ask them what their disability is. Right. And, so they, and mine course. go out to all of my clients. It's yeah. everyone. Because a lot of people have sensory issues and they're not neurodivergent because neurodivergent people are humans with human issues. They're not, you know, doesn't make them different, you know. The accommodation forms are a huge one and and just asking them what they need and then giving them t- because I promise yeah. what they need is going to cost you probably no money or very little money, no time or very little time. And it's going to make such a yeah. huge difference to that person, like such a huge difference. Earplugs. I have disposable earplugs in my salon for either when the hair dryers on or when, you know, water gets in right. the ear a little bit. And that can be really painful for people.
0: Right, right. And, you know, Meg, as, you're, as you're going through these things, too, I just keep thinking, like, I love that you mentioned you don't have to ask questions about your client. Like, you don't have to pry because all of these considerations, the whole idea, it is like really making it feel inclusive, not not putting up more barriers but for your neurodivergent clients, right? So if you're filling out these forms, if you're sending them out to all your clients, like, the, the best case scenario out of all of this is that this is going to give every single client that sits in your chair a better experience.
1: 100%. I mean, even like, so one of the questions also is, do you want, you know, and I know some of these may not be as possible if you have a massive salon, right? But like for me, I give, I give people options whether they want the radio or they can pick a playlist. They can have whatever, cho- and actually I get to know my clients so well, I literally know what songs they like. So I'll put on their very own playlist. Also, you mm-hmm. know, there are ways of making big spaces feel not so big. You know, a lot of, a lot of neurodivergent people struggle with not only the loudness, but multiple noises. So like it's right. the multiple noises that our brains can't. So basically our brains can't filter out the important noises with the non-important noises. Right. So like me talking to you is the same loudness as my printer that's just on standby. Like I can hear that the brain depth. So like if I wasn't completely focused and there was something again going on, I would have to let sorry what, you know, so then if you've got a hairdryer, and then you've got gossiping, and then you've got the radio, and then you've got something else it is, again, it can be physically painful. So there are ways of maybe like having a option for maybe a quiet area. You know, or a quieter yeah, space that. or a, like, you know, miss a chair out on a day specifically. A quieter day in the salon when you have half the amount of staff in because I don't know it's a Sunday or an evening. I don't know what it is, whatever someone wants. But right.
0: there are ways yeah. to accommodate it. Yeah, I love that. And thank you so much for addressing both scenarios because I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, because a lot of these are, are nothing to do with your space, you know, because actually if you were in a of big course. space, you can just get the disposable earplugs. Like they cost pennies, yeah. you can get them for, you 100%. know, I you could charge for them if you want to do, but I give mine away for free because they cost pennies, you know, at yeah. those things you can accommodate very easy. And I would say like, just asking, like showing all those people on my TikTok that, that you will care when they ask, Yeah, because it's easy to be like, well, they never said anything, but you need to be the one to initiate that. It's your space, you know, it's not their yeah. space. And and often they have the same issue with that kind of flicky vibe um, and show yeah. them that, that it's not the case, that you're the exception,
0: that, you know, that your place yeah. isn't like that. And, and only you can show them that. Well, and it sounds like for the most part, we're dealing with humans that have been made to feel like advocating for themselves as being difficult. So I feel like it, it is going to be harder to speak up and I do think it is on us in the beauty industry to be the ones asking the questions when you have the knowledge act upon it these are such small and impactful things that I'm really really glad that you gave such a detailed breakdown because I do think that you know again it's breaking down that barrier to knowledge and and knowing that you can make such a huge impact in the way that your client feels by just asking and just making someone feel heard I think at the end of the day what do we want as human beings? We want to feel seen, heard, and valued, right? And I think giving these kinds of, you know, customizations is going to do exactly that. Yeah, and I mean, you
1: know, to your point of like us feeling like we're being difficult, you know, I want to share a few statistics with you because they're a little bit scary statistics, but I think they emphasize the point that it is so important to try and make, especially an environment that's supposed to be fun, and it's supposed to be relaxing and it's supposed to be enjoyable yes. to make it actually what make people the, feel good all that really need it is that neurodivergent children with ADHD have 20,000 more negative responses to their behavior by the age of 10 than a neurotypical child. So imagine when they oh. get to 40, imagine their self-talk right. and their self-esteem, you know, it's, right. it's, it's oh, like you perfect. start off 10 paces back, you know, undiagnosed yeah. neurodivergent people are more likely to end up in abusive relationships, with eating disorders, with drug or alcohol addictions, because it's self-medicating, because we're told that, well, if you just tried harder, you know, oh, you're being lazy, you're being difficult, you know, why can't you just? So we try and find other ways because no one will actually accommodate us, help us, hear us. And autistic adults are three times more likely to self-medicate. Suicide is also the leading cause of early death amongst autistic people. I believe all those statistics are down to lack of knowledge, lack of accommodations, and lack of inclusivity. And, and in a space where we're supposed to make... We know how important we are to our clients. We know that. And, and neurodivergent people are some of our most vulnerable clients. You may, we may not see it. It may not be plastered on the outside all the time, but they are the ones that need this the most. And actually, I do believe that if we started treating everyone like this, everyone would feel the benefit. I don't think anyone would be like, oh, please don't ask me how I want
0: my things and how I feel and what I think and, you know. No, absolutely. We are in an industry where we are wanting to make people feel good, feel amazing. And truly, if there are things that can be done that's going to make that person feel less isolated, more included, more seen, more heard and more valued, I I think it's our duty to do so.
1: And and at the end of the day, I I know that people are running businesses, but I also think that neurodivergent clients are so underutilized and undervalued because I believe if you start really appreciating them, you will have better retention. You'll have better retention of your neurodivergent stylists. You'll get better work out of them. Yeah. You'll get your clients showing up on time better. You'll get them. You'll get them in a. You'll get them happier with your
0: work. You will literally have a better business absolutely almost everyone has a hairstylist right like it's something that most people do have and so i think there is so much potential for change and for a ripple effect from our industry getting more educated and really just leading with wanting to make a difference right
1: yeah yeah and i i do see people wanting to make a difference i mean Up until probably four months ago, I might have had a different to that. I'm not going to lie; I am not was it eternal optimist. I'm not. Okay, (laughs) whatever your mug says, I'm not. I'm not the eternal optimist. But (laughs) I, I have to just have faith that there are more people that care than that don't, or else I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't be in the industry. I. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't stick my neck out. I wouldn't bother. So I have to assume that there are more, more good
0: caring people than not. Yeah. This is just the beginning, right? This is the beginning of the conversation. And I think that there are so many tangible takeaways here from this conversation. And I know that this is something that you are going to continue. So where can my listeners go to find out more about you, to connect with you? And to just dive deeper into this conversation. Sure.
1: So, um, I'm on Instagram, Coloring on the Spectrum, and I'm also on TikTok, Coloring on the Spectrum. I also wanted to say about, if anyone doesn't know about it, the Sunflower Lanyard Disabilities Charity. Um, they deal with hidden disabilities, um, it is a global um, organization, and you effectively have a Sunflower Lanyard, and it mm-hmm. is to when you go out, you can go on public transport, a lot of airports will recognize it and they just know you have an invisible disability. So they will ask things like, can I help you? They're not going to pry into your disability, but 70% of disabilities are hidden disabilities. They're invisible. Wow. So they wow. really, really, really help that. So if, you know, and it covers things like migraines and epilepsy and all those other things, but they are a great charity. They're a really great one to support. And I want to see that more acknowledged in salons. So if you see someone with a sunflower lanyard, you know, educate yourself on it, interact with them. They're on, they're on Instagram as well. And they're great.
0: Perfect. And I will link to both Meg's Instagram page and the Sunflower Lanyard um Instagram and website in the mm-hmm. show notes. If you want to go check those out and get more information and learn more about that initiative. I think that's that's beautiful. Thank you for bringing that up. I will include where to find that inside of the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. This has been a really enlightening conversation. And again, I'm just very appreciative for you coming, sharing your knowledge, sharing your story, and just being a voice within our industry. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening in to another episode of the Hairstylist Rising podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Be sure to check out our show notes for all of the links mentioned in today's episode. And if you want to get in touch with me and let me know what you're thinking, what you'd like to see on the podcast, or just share your favorite episode, send me a DM over on Instagram, either at Hairstylist Rising or at it's Jodi Brown. I am so excited to see you back here, same place, same time next week. And until then, I am Jody Brown. I am your host and I'm signing off now. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we'll see you next week.